When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he doesn't play Duck Duck Goose, but he does play Val Duck Goose. It's Matt Morgan. So recently my neighbor was arrested for ruining the community garden. Everybody was up in arms. Uh, It turns out the police charged him with disturbing the peas. (laughs) Disturbing the peas. I didn't care at all. (laughs) But, you know, <laughs> wow, the, that's good. The, the neighbors were that's a that's a story that's going to be really hard to beat, Matt. Mm. Yeah, we should have we should have squashed that joke. From hey, hey. Yeah, it, it's pretty rude of me to, uh, <laughs> to out my, my neighbors like this. So let's let's keep moving on. Yeah, up next, he doesn't play capture the flag, but he does play capture the flag stones of trocare. It's Dana Roach. Did you hear about the aquatic sea animals that escaped from the zoo? It was it was utter chaos. <laughs> this well, joke really... brought to you by Lutri. <laughs> <laughs> well, they really should have kept everything sealed, and then you know <laughs> things would have worked out better, don't you think? No, that would not have. I got not. I I can't think of a walrus pun. <laughs> that's that's okay. I'm just glad that I'm learning. I'm able to actually match right. up with you guys <laughs> yeah. in this intro, which has never happened before. New new life goals in 2023. All right. Anyway, this is the EDH Recast. How about we get into it? EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the EDH Recast, we love to give all of that data a little more context. Dana, could you tell us? what it is that we're going to be talking about in this week's episode. We are going to be discussing decks that overlap and switching commanders with those decks. Yes, indeed. This will be quite a a, a dense one, quite a lot of personal heart going into this one, I think. Um, We're going to go through some similarity coefficient data. Basically, uh, if you took these commanders and you could just like swap them over, would they be able to play the same relative 99s as the others, which commanders have the most overlap there? And then also talking about our own personal trials and tribulations when switching to a new commander for the 99, which should be pretty darn interesting to actually get into all that. But real quick, before we get to all that data and those heartfelt moments, we've got some shout outs to do. First, I'd like to thank Chase, also known as Mana Curves, for their help with editing the show. 
You can find them on Twitter at Metacurves. We're ecstatic to tell you that EDH Rec has also partnered with Coalesce Apparel and Design. Coalesce has an amazing line of magic-inspired apparel, and if you've ever wanted EDH Rec shirts or hoodies, you can now go browse the EDH Rec collection. Head to Coalesce and use code EDH Rec for 10% off your order. EDH Rec also streams on Whatnot. Join our content manager, Jason Alt, on whatnot.com slash invite slash EDH Rec. And if you sign up with that EDH Rec membership code, you get 15 bucks of credit for free. So for Whatnot and for Coalesce, that's code EDH Rec. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking, subscribing on your podcast app. Uh, You can subscribe on YouTube as well. You can like this video. That always helps. Or you can go to patreon.com slash EDHRETCAST where we have patron tiers of all sorts of levels. It's just a nice way to get get yourself a little bonus while also supporting the show. Whether you want to join the Discord community, you want to see everything a day early, all that and more over at patreon.com slash EDHRETCAST, including our weekly shout out, which is so, so coveted. And this week, Juan Venegas, thank you so much for your support. We definitely appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I, th- my jokes, they're one gone. I, I can't make any more. <laughs> oh, goodness. Thank you so, so much, Juan. We absolutely adore it. Like when, when folks uh, support us this way, it's it's just really, really rad. Y'all genuinely do make the show happen. Means a lot. And actually, one other quick shout out for this episode as well. We want to shout out MTGDS for assembling the data that we're going to be referring to in this episode, uh, assembling that data for us because it was tricky to do. MTGDS is all about doing math with magic and doing magic with math. If you happen to see the hipster quotient app that was going around online a bit ago, that's the kind of stuff that they're up to. So check them out everywhere online at MTGDS. And thank you so much for your help with this episode. Okay, fellas, now we're going to get into it. We're going to start off by talking about some commanders that have a whole lot of overlap to them. Basically, if you took that commander and put it onto another 99, how well would it do? And um, in the case of some of these commanders, they would definitely do really, really well, I think. Matt, do you think you want to start us off? Well, I, I think I can uh, because it's it's pretty easy, actually, because this, this next commander... Well, technically, it's the same commander, it's just two different cards. So it's it's Kozilek and Kozilek. Uh, so when you look at all the commanders out there, as far as what they are in their color identities, that is, uh, you're going to see the typical Kozilek deck. So both versions that we've seen of Kozilek, they have an overlap of 97%. So you can pretty much swap these commander for commander, and you're going to have roughly the same deck. It's going to function roughly the same way no matter what. Uh, it is the most twinning pair. I don't mean Twinferno. I mean... <laughs> the most overlapping, you know, samesies type of commander deck there is. Yeah. If you were to pick a card from one of those decks, there's a 97% chance that it's also in the other's deck. And that makes sense. Kozilek and Kozilek sounds like just the most terrifying law firm I could possibly imagine. <laughs> I would, would not want to be sued by anyone representing Kozilek and Kozilek at all. Yeah. It, not a, a highly recommended uh, law firm, Dana, not at all. But Kozlek <laughs> Butcher of Truth and Kozlek the Great Distortion, two just colorless commanders. They're going to play a lot of cards that are going to have a lot of overlap. Uh, all this dust, some great board wipes, Forsaken mm-hmm. Monument, Eldrazi Temple. So a lot of just colorless themes because, I mean, you're only working with colorless cards, so it makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, number two on our list, we're just going to go with some different color combinations up in here. And up next is Mono Blue. We've got a lot of Merfolk coming in for this one. Emperor Mihail II and Sfeilun are our blue picks here. They have a similarity coefficient of 95%. And yeah, it's a deck that's all about the creature type of Merfolk. So Master of the Pearl Trident, Marrow Regery, cards like Stony Book Banneret are super popular for both of these commanders you would be able to definitely switch one of these out in the command zone and the deck would basically be exactly the same still. Yeah, and, and that's going to be kind of the trend moving forward in, in, in these conversations here. We're looking at things that probably, number one, are limited in the amount of cards they can run based on a color. Colorless in the case of the, of the Honorables, Kozilek and Kozilek. In this case, Mono <laughs> Blue. Um, and additionally, there's a shared theme here, right? We're looking at a, sh a shared theme of running primarily Merfolk and cards that interact with Merfolk. So... If you're going to be doing something that specific in one specific color, you're just going to get a lot of overlap. And yeah, this these are this is exactly what you would expect looking at these two commanders. There's just going to you will have the ability probably to have one like take over as the the guest singer for for you know one particular concert and not really notice much difference. Yeah, these do really good covers of each other's songs. Exactly, right. it, right. it's yeah. like Journey doing a cover of Steve Perry. They they almost sound alike. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and, and so like we see the same thing when we move on even to a five color deck. Um, Sliver Overlord and Sliver Hive Lord. Very similar situation there. Despite being in five color, you know, you have access to every single card ever printed for the most part in Commander. But if you are playing a Sliver deck, which obviously Sliver Overlord and Sliver Hive Lord are going to be doing, you are just going to be narrowly focused on, on cards that probably interact with that strategy. And, and in this particular case, we're looking at 94% overlap between those two commanders. Very, very interchangeable because everyone brews those two as kind of a clone of one another. And this is super surprising. So when you're working with a specific creature type and, and decks themed around that, with mono blue or mono colors just in general, you're working from a very small pool of cards. Everything's shared. But it's so surprising to me when Sliver Overlord and Sliver Hivelord, you have five colors. So like Dana said, you have every single card nearly printed ever to work with, but you're still coming back to the same support card. So yes, when you're looking at Sliver decks specifically focused all around the, the sliver creature type. Yes, that card pool is, is fairly shallow because you don't get sliver cards very often, but you, all the cards around the slivers, that's what surprises me because you have so many options, mm. but people still are drilling in on the same thing. So this is probably more surprising to me than anything else on the top 10 list is the fact that you have all these five color decks, but you still are playing 94% of the same cards. <laughs> Yeah, I would have thought you just accidentally get a little more variance just because of the fact that there are so many different choices. Mm -hmm. um, but but also, you know, once you think about it, if if people and people, it seems like these days tend to um, brew towards the theme maybe than they did once upon a time. I definitely see less good stuff decks than I did, you know, even three or four years ago. Um, it does kind of make sense because if you are going to hone in that theme, there's some pretty obvious choices and those pretty obvious choices tend to be the same regardless of which one of those commanders you're running. Well, I think this also speaks to sort of the ubiquity of staples for five color decks, the mm -hmm. swords to plowshares and cyclonic rifts that they more or less feel like if I'm going to have any removal and interaction in this deck, it's going to be the best of the best and that isn't going to change too much. So I think that that's a little bit at play for these two. Um, 
more concerning to me, though, well, concerning is not the right word, but more interesting to me, I guess, is like how left out the other Sliver Legends are from this. Like this same level of overlap does not exist for things like Sliver Queen or the first Sliver, because Sliver Queen, which can make Sliver tokens, is pretty well known as a combo deck because it can do stuff with that Mana Echoes card, make infinite mana and therefore infinite tokens. And the first Sliver has also been part-time a CEDH deck that's doing a bunch of stuff that frankly is completely beyond me. But like, yeah, it doesn't like their entire builds of those decks that aren't even sliver related whatsoever. So the overlord and the hive lord really get to take the the similarity coefficient cake as it were. And it's not even that but but you have all the mana fixing cards too. You have all the ramp packages and I think it's more in line with a lot of folks when they're putting their lists online, they're just optimizing, they're doing the absolutely most efficient way to get to that end game. So maybe that's it. But in execution, it might be a little bit different on paper. But yeah, it, it, with five colors, you have so many options, but you're still playing the exact same things, even outside your sliver creature cards. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. Um, if we move down to mono white, however, we, we see something, again, that probably isn't terribly surprising. We're looking at 94% match between Giada and Lyra Dawnbringer. Hey. Um, and, and, and those are the commanders that we see almost exclusively when people want to build a mono white angel deck um giada being the newest addition to that but like lyra has been very popular for people who want to build angels as well and again those strategies are going to be kind of on rails particularly mono white where you just have a limited number of choices and neither of the decks are asking for any you know necessarily strange or weird thing in those colors either so the decks just wind up being kind of brewed the same and you're seeing them basically be a clone of one another. Yeah, and, and actually this is also kind of true of the next one, which also has 94% overlap. In mono green, we've got Eladomri and Azuri Renegade Leader. So elf deck follows up the angel deck. And I mean, yeah, elves in general tend to play a whole bunch of, a lot of the same ones because we all know how good Elvish Archdruid is. Like we all know how good Marwyn the Nurturer is. And there's a whole lot of overlap going on between all of that amazing i mean there's a big foundation for those types as well I, I think basically when it comes to some of these like the giada that you mentioned or like this azuri these overlaps th this kind of becomes for me the in sync and backstreet boys music concert situation where i just can't tell them apart all right well i thought that joke was funny but apparently it wasn't so let's just move on <laughs> <laughs> well and next up too joey we have finally a strategy that you're seeing a little bit of overlap on it's not just a specific creature type that everything's focusing in on, but the strategy itself, it's not around a certain type of card. It's just hate bears and controlling the board. So next up we have Azorius. So we have Grand Arbiter August in the fourth, next up to Lavinia Azorius Renegade. So these decks, 94% of overlap is happening here, but a lot of them are going to be cards like Azor's Elocutors and Fate Spinner and Avon Mind Sensor. And if you look at the typical deck, it's just a hard control deck. It's it's stopping people from doing much. If you played standard back in like Theros days and you had that blue-white control deck, that's basically what you're looking at here. So not a lot of fun is being had by anyone at the table. <laughs> Yeah, we, we like we we very much went from like a shared creature type kind of theme to one here where kind of the common thread is I don't have friends. <laughs> that's that's kind of what ties everything together here. This this is the 
you know, my mom had to put a pork chop in my pocket to get the dog to play with me when I was a kid. Kind of <laughs> yeah. overarching kind of, kind of thing, knotting those two together. Um, which is, you know, that's that's why you have ninety four percent overlap between these two decks. Oh. I don't, I don't know how to move on from that. I just love those analogies. <laughs> that was like if Ralph Wiggum is even like, I'm good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> then you might be an Azorius player. I, that's that's very mean. I have an Azorius deck, but I'm, I'm yes. And right, there's definitely like a Grand Arbiter player right now who's like listening to this podcast. Going, I have at least two friends, and I'm like, I'm sorry. Yes, you have. You probably have two friends. That's my well, bad. three sometimes because I have to fill a pod. So wow, that's true. That's right. There we go. Okay, so yeah, suffice it to say, neither of these commanders are one that I'm really excited to play against. But <laughs> right, right. wow, he went in today. He came through. Well done, Dana. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, that I think was number six on our list. Or yeah, so I'm gonna move to number seven now, uh, which is uh, more fun for me in exactly the opposite colors. We're in Jund here because the Wind Graces, uh, Lord Wind Grace and Soul of Wind Grace. Wind Grace and Wind Grace sounds like a really good law firm to go against Kozilek and Kozilek. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but they have a 93% overlap here, 93% similarity coefficient. Um, and I mean, yeah, it's lands and graveyard stuff. It's awesome. Both of these decks are going to make excellent use of cards like Ramanep Excavator, the Gitrog Monster, Crop Rotation. Like, this is, these are just both absolute blasts. In this case, we're looking at two cards that are almost kind of clones of one another in a lot of way, right? Yeah. One's a Planeswalker, one's a creature. But, like, other than that, they play eerily. Like, the, the text on them is even very, very similar. So... Not at all surprising to see that amount of overlap here. Well, it's almost like one is literally carrying on the spirit of the other one. <laughs> Quite literally. Almost like that was intentional. Yeah. <laughs> in addition, in, in this case, to the commanders that that where the text on them actually is very, very similar, um, it, it, it's the, the theme has a lot of overlap as well. Like basically it's doing landfall things. So you're there's at this point in time as an archetype, landfall is pretty well understood. And Everyone just has a general grasp of like what cards you want to run in a landfall deck. So it, it makes a lot of sense why you would just see the, the same cards in these two very similar commanders. Well, another one too, the, the next up we go to are uh, an Orzov combination between Comball, Console of Allocation, and Lisa, uh, Shroud of Dusk. Both of these, they're not doing pretty much the exact same thing as the other, as Lord Windgrace and Soul of Windgrace. But they are, strategy-wise, in cards of the 99, they are doing a lot of the same things. You're seeing cards like Sanguine Bond and Veto, the Dusk Rose, Debt to the Deathless. So there's a whole lot of just life matters, manipulation type of cards. Even though the commanders themselves, they're doing very different things within that strategy. But the cards themselves tend to overlap quite a bit. Now, these also seem like really mean, but not in the Grand Arbiter way. Like <laughs> maybe Cabal a little bit, actually, a little bit of side eye to that one. But like Liesa Shroud of Dusk is a very popular commander. And for good reason, the life manipulation that she pulls off and the evasion of commander tax that she pulls off. Like, yeah, that's that's really exciting. And like, I've always wondered whether I wanted to make a Voltron deck with her, um, which isn't a thing I would ever want to do with Cabal. And yet here they are both being like, uh, yeah, no, when we're going to mess with your life, the Orzov know how to do this best. So, of course, we're going to have the 93% overlap here because we know how to do this best. <laughs> yeah, this one is, is actually very surprising to me. I, I'm not surprised that there's some overlap, but I would have thought this would have been, you know, maybe the highest white black pair, but but lower than the rest. But like this is right up there with the the wind grace wind grace uh, combination. It's you know ninety three percent. 
I'm surprised to see there's that much overlap. I think what actually gets me is that I would have expected to see a different Orzov pair in the Orzov slot. Sure. Like, I would have expected maybe to see more overlap with, I don't know, for example, Tesa Karlov and Ellis Ilkor, because those are both very solidly Aristocrats decks, whereas it feels to me like Liesa might have more versatility. And I think that actually Liesa does have that same versatility. It's just like you can still use the same cards in a Kambal deck and a Liesa deck mm-hmm. in a versatile way, depending on your mood, like on your life manipulation and how risky you want that strategy to be. So I, I, I was surprised not to see something like Aristocrats be a little bit more famously above these. But I mean, power to them. These things like <laughs> the and Kambal are going to drain the ever living bejesus out of people's life totals. So kudos to them. But hey, moving from number eight to number nine, we're going from Orzov to Mono Black here. We've got some creature type similarities that explain this next one as well. Our next two highest overlapping commanders, again with 93% similarity coefficient, are Ashcoat and Maronar. So these are rat commanders that care about you having a whole bunch of rats in play. Ashcoat is a little bit newer, so I'll read that one real quick. That's the four mana, three, four rat warlock from one of the jumpstart sets when Whenever it attacks or blocks, your other rats get bigger, equal to the number of rats that you control. And at the beginning of your end step, you can mill four cards and return up to two rat creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. So this is a really great deck for, uh, for you know, playing a whole bunch of rats. Specifically, the card Rat Colony seems to be of big interest to both of these commanders. Marinar has been a very famous Rat Colony deck for ages, and now Ashcoat is here doing exactly the same thing. In this case, the overlap isn't just high because of the actual cards that they're playing, but also the number of cards that they'll be playing because a whole lot of that deck is going to be Rat Colonies. Yeah, not at all surprising here that the the, the, the Rat Colony commanders that that alone is going to do a vast majority of the heavy lifting to get to that 93% for sure. Well, and it's not even that 93% of the cards are the same. It's 93% of the cards are literally the exact same right. <laughs> yes. between yeah. these two. It's, it's just rat colony yeah. in, in, in a lot of them. So yeah, there's also pack rat and like a swarm yard and, and, and a piper of the swarm. And a whole like lot of basic swamps. Very true. And a yeah. whole lot of basic Unless you're Dana, swamps. Dana will find a way to, to make like, three basics on a rat colony deck. I can I can, I can get plenty of uh, utility lands in that deck. <laughs> Dan is the type of guy who would try to build a rat colony deck where there's only one rat colony in the deck. Like that's the type of thing that Dana's up to. I think how would you do that? You, yeah, I mean, let me, let me ponder that for a little bit. <laughs> and, and while I'm thinking about it, let's let's talk about the, the Simic pair here. We have Adric and Nev and Essex Fractal Bloom. And they are both commanders that do things with tokens, albeit be it a little bit different. Idrix and Nev is kind of a doubling season. When you make a token, you make an uh, additional one of those tokens. Essex Fractal Bloom, when you make a token, you instead make a token that's a copy of, of a creature you control. One additional kind of factor with this particular deck is these commanders both came together in the same deck in Commander 2021. Mm-hmm. So I think th- this is a situation, and then probably the first real one we've had here, where some of that pre-con effect is probably also doing a little bit of work to match these two decks up because they, they literally came in the same deck. And I believe that's the only place that they've they've showed up so far. So so that probably skews those numbers slightly um, to match those two together as well, because people just basically swapped out the commanders and, and went with the same deck in a lot of cases. But they they want to do the same thing in a lot of you know or at least use a lot of the same cards. So the overlap makes sense in a bunch of different ways there. Yeah, because considering their pre-constructed deck commanders that came in the same deck, 
this this is the precon effect that we talk about. This is what we talked about in our very first episode all those years ago. Yeah, uh, th- this is kind of this in practice still in 2023. Yeah, and we just looked. That was our tenth, our final one here that we're going to look at. But if we were to expand even farther, we would actually see tons of other overlap in like the high 80 percent ranges. For example, in Esper, we would see Sharum and Sidri, um, and those also were things that came in the same deck together. Or uh, in Bont, we would have Estrid and Tuvasa also came in the same deck together. So they didn't, you know, get into the top 10. But that is a huge phenomenon when we're looking at deck overlap. The precon effect is playing a huge, huge role there for sure. Um, If it's all right with you guys, I actually want to end with a bonus fun fact about the commanders that have the least amount of overlap from within the same colors. Um, Just because I think it's kind of adorable. The new Isu the Abominable versus Storvald Frost Giant in uh, Bont colors. Isu the Abominable uh, and Storvald only have a 48% amount of overlap there. So those are the commanders that are lowest on our list at all, out of all of the commanders. So even the commanders that have the least in common still have a pretty high degree of overlap. Granted, a lot of your most famous ramp or removal spells are going to cover a lot of that, but there's a lot of similarity everywhere you go. And I think that's an important lesson for us to keep in mind when we're looking at all of these figures. Um, you know, I, I I didn't pull those numbers specifically, so so I'm not going to challenge those stats. But <laughs> what? there's some other stats I think we can challenge. Uh, well, yes, Dana, I suppose there are some other stats that we can challenge. We can take a break for that. But we did, after looking over all of this data, you know, in the next half of the show, we are going to talk about more of our trials and tribulations when it comes to switching over a deck to a new commander. So definitely stay tuned for that. But yeah, let's take a break for some of those challenges. All right, Dana, since you are the master thief of segues and I won't get to introduce the Challenge of Stats segment at all in uh, 2023, apparently, how about you start us off for Challenge of Stats this week, my guy? Absolutely. As, as the Rel Zarek of uh, Challenge of Stats introductions, um, we have a challenge from a listener this week from M- NKMitch42. Um, and NK Mitch wants to offer a challenge for Slaughter the Strong and how it's underplayed in Greasefang decks. Slaughter the Strong is one and a two white. Um, it's a sorcery. Each player chooses any number of creatures they control with total power four or less, then sacrifices all other creatures they control. NK Mitch42 says he thinks Slaughter the Strong is underplayed in Greasefang because Greasefang dodges it. It doesn't destroy your unaccrued vehicles, and it often cleans up the board to make way for them by limiting your opponent's options. It's only currently played in 59 of 421 Greasefang lists. He thinks it should be played in more, especially in lists that want vehicles to stick and play rather than relying on Greasefang triggers alone. Uh, Strong of the Strong is a very, very good card, and, and, and I don't know if I've ever seen it cast when it wasn't cast by someone whose deck was was built around it being a blowout against everyone but them. So for sure, I, I probably should just see more play in general in decks where you have low-power commanders and low-power creatures, but especially something like Grease Fang, where you can definitely tweak it to make it uh, much more one-sided than the average board wipe. That's a very, very good pick. Yeah. Oh, man. One-sided board wipes are just really dang good when you can pull them off, and that's a really good one. So I'm way into it. All right. Well, I'll move to my challenge now, and I actually have a challenge for a card that well, kind of a, a series of cards that I think is overplayed for some commanders like Velomachus Lorehold. So Velomachus Lorehold is the seven mana Lorehold or Boros Commander, 5-5 five, five Elder Dragon with Flying Vigilance Haste. And it says whenever it attacks, you look at the top seven cards of your library, you may cast an instant or sorcerer spell with mana value less than.
than or equal to Velomachus's power from among them without paying its mana cost, and the rest go to your bottom uh, bottom of the library in a random order. Um, this is a really fantastic way to get a whole bunch of cool spells off the top of your deck. It's kind of doing stuff that like the Jeskai Narset would also do, getting free spells. But there is a bit of a rules nonbo that I want to bring to attention here. Um, so cards like Relentless Assault, for instance, those are really fantastic cards in red to help you get additional combat steps, but some of them are worded very, very weirdly. Relentless Assault is a form in a sorcery that says untap all creatures that attack this turn. After this main phase, there's an additional combat phase followed by an additional main phase. And there are a bunch of other amazing spells like this too. Seize the Day is another one that you might see, and those show up in really high percentages of Velomachus Lorehold decks. Like Relentless Assault is being played in four 48% of the 1200 Velomachus decks, and Seize the Day is being played in 45% of them. But here's a really crucial part about the rulings for Relentless Assault. According to the rules, it only creates an additional combat and main phase if this spell resolves during a main phase. And if you're getting the spell off the top of your deck with Velomachus's ability, then you're not casting it during a main phase. You're casting it during the combat step, so this spell would actually whiff. This can still be an absolutely perfectly fine card to play in a Velomachus deck, but just know that if this is one of the cards that you flip off the top of your deck, it's not going to work with Velomachus. You're not actually going to get the extra combat step. There are some cards like World at War that are worded differently, which will work for it, so keep an eye out for those. But some of these extra combat cards are a non-bow with Velomachus, so just be very, very careful about the extra combat steps that you are using with your big, awesome dragon. Yeah, good good catch, Joey. There's a lot of those little here and there things that people kind of forget or get excited and kind of ignore. And this is really a, a, a good catch here. It's a super tricky ruling, but yeah. I'm going to get away from super tricky rulings. and I'm just going to go into uh, smash face, turn things sideways, if that's okay with you all. Um, so I'm going to go to it. So it doesn't happen very often that we get a mono white commander that is popular, much less in the top three of commanders from that set. So I'm going to take a second to celebrate Myral Shield of Argiv. Uh, so if you look at all the top commanders from Brothers War, this is number three. There's almost 1,300 decks already that have been built for Myral, and that's just for a mono white commander. That's pretty awesome. So we're gonna we're gonna lift that up, and, and we're gonna look into a card that. Mm. I think it's a little overplayed because what the deck kind of is looking to do kind of just it goes back and forth with this. So the card specifically that I'm going to challenge this week is Takatli Honor Guard. I'm going to say that it's overplayed this week because so much of the deck wants to lean into these ETB abilities. So Takatli Honor Guard is uh, one in a white for a human soldier that says creatures entering the battlefield don't cause abilities to trigger, which is all well and good. If you look at my role, there's nothing about creatures entering the battlefield or anything. It's There's an attack trigger there and it stops your opponents from doing things. But if you look at the rest of the deck, there are a lot of enter the battlefield abilities that you're going to be shutting down, not just for your opponents, but for yourself. You're going to be shutting down a whole lot of cards like Cathar's Crusade and Reverend Hoplite that help you, help the deck go wide. Or you're going to shut down a lot of your utility cards like Recruiter of the Guard and Rumor Gatherer. So the deck is going to get hit probably just as much as you're hitting your opponents, which is something, especially when you have mono white, you already have so few engines that you're relying on. So you really don't want to shut those down. It, we don't like Mentor the Meek, but Mentor the Meek requires creatures in a battlefield to tr to trigger. There's other effects that you can do that the deck is already playing. Thalia, Heretic, Cathar is a soldier that does a lot of kind of the same things, doesn't completely shut them down. 
uh, but is a good substitute here. Uh, you have several other kind of hate bear type of cards that I think you can substitute instead of Takatli Honor Guard. Yes, it's a soldier. Myral cares a lot about soldiers, but I think that this card is one that you don't want to be looking at just because so much of the deck revolves around what Takatli Honor Guard wants to shut down. Interesting stuff. Alrighty. Well, even if I can't segue us into Challenge the Stats, I can segue us out of Challenge the Stats. So I'm going to do that, Dana, before you can take that right away from me. <laughs> so let's get back into our topic here. So we just looked at a bunch of decks of commander decks that are, are basically twins, um, the, the twinningest commanders. Um, and that kind of makes us want to talk a little bit about the cases where we took a 99 and we switched a commander out and we changed things up a little bit. This is something that I've done recently with my Marin deck turned into Babala Saga. Matt, I know that you uh, recently switched over from your Miri deck. You tried out Yasharn and now you're on to one of their Trostanis, I believe Trostani Discordant. So this is something that we've each been playing around with in a couple of different ways. And so let's talk about some of the things that are fun about that and some of the things that are difficult about doing that. Like how much of that overlap, not just in the data, but in our own experiences, are we able to maintain and, and what's fun and what's hard about it? The most recent one I had actually wound up with a, a background um, and I built a Saravak Deathbringer deck that was one of the creatures from, from Baldur's Gate. Um, and for those who don't remember, um, at the beginning of each player's end step, if no permanents left the battlefield that turn, each player loses X life or X is Saravak's power. Um, and also has to choose a background. So I, I paired Seravok up with Raised by Giants. And, and the thought process was, well, I would, you know, have Raised by Giants in play, which would make Seravok very, very large. And people then who, who wouldn't be able to sacrifice things would take that damage at the other end step based on, you know, the, what that creature's power was. And then I would run a bunch of Eldrazi spawns and scions in the deck to constantly enable me to have things to sacrifice at, at all points in time. So I wouldn't take the trigger, but everyone else would. Hmm. Um, the problem the deck had was everyone has a gazillion treasures nowadays. <laughs> right. I mean, in large part, but between that and the various types of fetch lands and stuff, it was just very, very easy to, for people to dodge that trigger. So basically, I had a commander built around doing a thing that it never did. Um, so rather than take the deck apart, I was just looking to see if what else I could utilize that did the same thing, or, or, or at least utilize the cards, the, sh the shell in the deck. And that's when I discovered kind of the inverse, which was a green creature with a black background, which was Jahira, Friend of the Forest, and Agent of the Iron Throne. And it didn't do the same thing as Sarvok did, but it worked exactly, it worked like with the exact same deck mm. because Agent of the Iron Throne wants you to sacrifice things to deal damage. And Jahira let me use all those spawns and scions that I can tap them for mana. So like just weirdly enough and coincidentally enough, I was able to change the commander and the background to a different commander and a different background of different colors and change nothing else at all in the deck. Like I, I, I maybe <laughs> made three swaps, but, but those two decks played played quite differently using exactly the same cards, which was super bizarre and maybe not applicable to anybody else. I don't know, <laughs> but it was just a weird situation where like I was able to do that. I was able to swap out that commander and change next to nothing and have the deck still function. And like, like that's, you just get lucky sometimes. And I kind of got lucky, but that's a situation where I just worked out that way. Yeah. Well, and for me, whenever I've made changes to the commanders, it's been trying to kind of switch and change the identity. It wasn't just a quick swap. I've always been trying to 
make bigger changes and, and kind of refocus the deck or because the deck already took a different focus. And so having that old commander didn't really make any sense. So I haven't been able to do anything like that, Dana. All my changes, like Joey, when you mentioned when I changed my Miri deck around and, and, and turned it into over the, over the changes, it's now my Tristani deck. That was over the course of time of, of a lot of different changes where the deck had changed so much that it wasn't the original deck that I brewed for a Miri Weatherlight Duelist. It was a completely different deck. Mm. And so the commander changing almost had to happen in order for the commander or for the rest of the deck to really function how it had kind of evolved into. And so that's something you want to keep an eye on too is after essentially rotation is what kind of we get now with commander these days. You know, you have standard rotation that lasts every two years, but you might have two years worth of of changes that eventually your whole deck's just different. It's a different iteration from what you originally built several years ago. And and that's the type of changes that I saw when I made changes to my commanders. That is really fascinating. Just those small little domino deck building effects that slowly, I don't know if erosion is the right word, but like it, it very, very slowly changed over time so that you like at some point you were just like, oh, wait, this commander isn't doing the things that I had originally done like you oh yeah that I never even considered that but that's I mean certainly an excellent reason to do it but it felt like the the change for the commander at that point for you was an inevitability rather than anything painstaking like for me I feel like any time that I've tried to change a commander it was kind of hard to do that I didn't have too much overlap that went from one deck to the other but for you it was just like something that felt as natural as waking up it seems yeah and and there wasn't a whole lot of Overlap. If you look at the typical Miri Weatherlight Duelist and compare it to the typical Tristani D- Discordant deck, they're extremely different. They're doing wildly different things, but yeah. it only made sense for me to make that swap at some time and find a new commander that's better going to take care of everything. Uh, it, in the same way, when you get a precon, if you start to focus it in on, on a certain theme, it might end up very, very different from the original list. My, my AC Tyrant of Gary Straits. It's not a landfall deck. I mean, it still is very landfall powerful, but I tried to focus it at least to be sea monsters and stuff like that. So over the course of time, we got a new sea monster here and there. So I took on a lot of the land matters cards and turned into these nine mana six sixes that have some sort of island ability. Those types of the changes are the ones that I see and I, I reevaluate the deck and think, is there a commander that's going to better handle what this deck has become over the course of all these changes? Yeah, that's fascinating. Like, I'm trying to think through, like, I've done some switches over that for me have felt like, oh, man, this really is a wrench. Like, I'm I'm sad that I won't be playing these anymore, but I know this change is going to be good for me. And one of the ways that I've managed to guide that, for example, when I moved from Marin to Babala Saga, uh, like that one, the thing I could focus on were basically pet cards. And like, what is the heart of the strategy that I'm after? And the heart of the strategy for me was sacrificing a bunch of stuff, but doing that fun aristocrat stuff that would make my opponents lose life whenever I nom nommed on all of my own things. And so by focusing on pet cards that I just love to play, I could focus on those rather than the stuff that I was losing out, even if I still did love those. They were better for the Marin deck than for Babala Saga, but there are so many new fun pet cards for Babala Saga that my joy for those will override the joy that I'm losing out on for those other things. I I feel like that's been the thing that I usually have to focus on. And the only time that I think I've ever made a a transition as naturally as the one that you just described from Miri 
was when I was moving my Titania deck to an Omnath deck and then to a Gitrog deck and then to a Windgrace deck, um, which is a thing that happened over the course of quite a long time. And the reason I think that one was able to be so natural was because more or less the bones of that strategy, all of the land searching cards, all of the landfall payoffs, those kind of stayed the same from deck to deck. But the thing that didn't stay the same were the pet cards in that deck. So it was actually easy to do, but my heart wasn't necessarily in it, which is why I eventually reverted back to Titania with it. Um, but anyway, those are just an interesting thing for me. I've, I've kind of found in my experience when I'm switching a commander over, I have this subconscious division between the the bones of the deck, the the staples of the strategy versus the cards that I am most excited to play, the pet cards more or less. So one of the things to keep an eye out for too are cards that may rely on a specific commander statistics or how the commander plays, for example. Mm. So one I ran into earlier this year when I converted my my Kresh, the Bloodbreaded Fling deck, over to Minsk and Boo was I was running Bonders Enclave in that deck, which is a land that lets you tap to draw a card if you have a creature with power of four or greater. Kresh is a 3-3, three, three, but basically anytime something dies, he gets counters put on him. So in that deck... I had a commander that was almost always able to hit that that threshold for me to draw cards. I switched over to to make that deck a Minsk and Boo fling deck. And not only do I n- not have a commander that's getting counters constantly, I don't even have a commander that's a creature. So so suddenly the reliability of me using that Bonders Enclave changed enough where that card, despite the deck playing the same way and running a lot of the same cards didn't work the same way that it once did. Um, on the other hand, my my Kettis and Krom deck that I currently have began as an Adelaide's the Cinder Wind deck. Um, I wasn't running Stubborn Denial as one of my counter spells in that deck because it, it's there's not a lot of creatures again in that deck, and Adelaide's didn't hit the four power threshold to make Stubborn Denial a hard counter spell. Whereas Krom by themselves is just a four power creature mm. and is enough to actually put me over the top to actually use Stubborn Denial almost all the time as a hard counter. So that was one where normally I'd have put that card in the deck, but once I made the switch, I just didn't really think about it until I had been playing it for several months and was like, oh, why am I should have Stubborn Denial in here? I, 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 I you know, swapped it out for something else, but I didn't because it wasn't as reliable in the previous iteration with the previous commander. And to go back briefly to the crash to, to Minsk and Boo switch, while Bonders Enclave no longer became a card that was reliable enough to run in that deck, War Room, which is also a land that draws cards and deals damage to you based on the, the amount of colors in your deck, War Room going from dinging me for three to dinging me for two felt much easier to play in that deck and, and lose life than it did when I, when it was costing me three. Um, not that I haven't paid more than three life to draw cards in the past, but I was going <laughs> to say. War Room in that deck felt safer to run than it did when it was in my my crush deck. Dana, I feel like the commander you want most in life is one that you can like play from the command zone that says pay like 38 life to draw two cards. Draw like, cards, <laughs> yes, 100%. Okay. Yeah, I would play that commander. I'd find a way to run it for sure. Well, and, and one thing too that's almost as valuable as knowing what cards don't really apply anymore. That That's a, a fantastic example, Dana, of, okay, well, this, so that needs to come out. But remembering what cards are probably going to be the most powerful, most valuable to carry over into the new commander setup, that's probably something that probably gets overlooked just as much as knowing what cards to cut. So an example of this probably 
I think at least that stands out is if you look at some of the most played Jeskai commanders, you have Elsha the Infinite and Kaikar, which are both Jeskai commanders. They're casting a lot of spells, but they both ha they have an 89% overlap, which is the most uh, the highest rate of overlap between Jeskai commanders. They have some absolute haymakers that both are finding valuable. So if you're switching from one to the other, you have cards like Whirlwind of Thought and Jeskai Ascendancy that they just give you so much speed through your deck that if you're hopping between either of them, those cards are just absolutely must-haves, whichever one you have at the helm. And, and finding ones that, okay, I'm going to swap this one out because this doesn't work as well with the other one, but finding those cards that work with both of the commanders... Yeah, keep around those those absolute powerhouses that you are going to want in, in those decks. Especially when they're exciting. Like, yeah, <laughs> uh, yes. Like I kind of like I'd mentioned like, oh, my pet cards or whatever. But another thing that it feels to me is like, does this change contain the same heart of the strategy that I was going after? I think it would be very easy if you were switching from one of those Spellslinger commanders to another to discover that they don't necessarily have the same tempo, for example, that you're used to. If one of them is making a bunch of stuff that goes wide and the other one is going tall, suddenly your evaluation of how you're going to win the game might completely change from what you were used to. And that had better be something that you are indeed prepared for. And I, I think that's also like in my my pet cards stuff in the heart of the strategy, a large thing that I include for that is like the win conditions. Like how are the win conditions changing is one of the things that I focus absolutely number one most on when I am changing over a deck in any capacity. Because how the deck wins and how I'm going to remember it, how I'm going to walk away from that game is the most important thing to me. So if I have a deck that makes a whole bunch of creatures and I really can't wait to do that and then I switch it over to a new commander, is that commander also using those same whole bunch of creature strategy or is it introducing something completely different is it going to end up using more of my mana i'll cast some big x spell to win the game for example and that could be a different uh, excitement level that i leave the table with and so that's why i try to focus on those as much as possible if the deck is introducing new win conditions that's really great but just be aware of how that will affect the heart of the strategy going into it well, the change could also introduce new weaknesses to your deck. <laughs> yeah. So, like looking looking back at, at the Jund Commander situation, Lord Windgrace to Soul Windgrace. Um, Lord Windgrace is obviously vulnerable to a creature attacking, but in landfall decks, a lot of things make tokens when you play land. What and a lot of the the things that interact with lands are creatures, so you tend to probably have blockers to protect Windgrace, and a lot less spells are able to blow up Planeswalker. So, like. There's a little bit of inherent protection baked into that Windgrace deck. You can maybe run more board wipes because it's not going to blow up your commander, that kind of thing. Now, once you make that move over to Soul of Windgrace, well, that suddenly goes away a little bit. Mm. It's a lot easier to target a creature with a spell and remove it from the game. They're much more vulnerable than a Planeswalker is most of the time, probably. You're no longer able to just like cast board wipes nearly as as wildly as maybe you could when you're playing Lord Windgrace as a Planeswalker who's going to who's going to miss most of those effects. So that, that move, while maybe adding strengths and stuff, may also add weaknesses that your old deck didn't have to deal with. Well, and one thing, too, when you're, when you're changing commanders at the deck, looking at what cards are in common between the two, it also kind of gives you little clues that you can pick up on. Not the clues like the, the tokens, but actual like deck building clues <laughs> on, on what you can focus in on, too, and, and help you see what other cards you could maneuver around in. You look at Jetmir and Ginny Fadex. They're Naya commanders. They have a bunch of overlap. When you, when you look at those common cards, you have stuff like Artifact Mutation, March of the Multitudes, Grand Crescendo. So if you have a token deck and you, you're more looking at making big things and you're switching from one to the other, 
You can look at these cards that have a lot of play in both of those decks and then think, well, maybe I should be focusing on going wide and that can help direct you too. So you've made the change with the commander and now you can look at those clues within the deck as, okay, what else can I be doing? I changed the commander. What else could I change? It's going to help lean into that commander's strengths a little bit more. Yeah, this this stuff is really complicated. I, I think a lot of the numbers that we saw earlier with all of that overlap, they definitely indicate to us that it would be kind of easy to just replace one commander for the other. But when you change something in the command zone, there are a lot of ripple effects that are really important to pay attention to. So it kind of all goes into what your intention is with that. And if in the case with you, Matt, like like you saw, the deck is kind of revealing to you that it wants to have a new commander in the zone and, and stuff like that. I've known in my case, though, I've had at least one, maybe even two instances where I changed a deck over and then I didn't <laughs> actually like the swap to the new commander all that much. So then I was like, oh, I'm going to revert this back. So regardless of how anyone feels about any of the data or any of these experiences, just make sure that you put your deck lists on into some type of deck builder website so that you can go back to it if you need it, because you don't want to have to rebuild all of that from scratch. Trust me, I've not, I've made that exact mistake myself, so learn from me, people. Definitely secure that list before you completely leave it in paper. I've never had to revert one, Joey, but I, I've definitely had ones that um, I, I changed to something else and it didn't fix what I was trying to change. Um, and I've deleted the previous list, so like <laughs> I, I didn't even have the option to go back. So I, at that point, I'm like, I'm just done. Yeah. No, that's actually a, that's a really good point. If you make this attempt, at least have a backup plan in case you want to roll things back to the previous version for sure. Yeah, yeah, making copies of deck lists online and doing your brewing from there, that's, I mean, kind of helpful. I would say fairly helpful, yeah. It's it's not a limited resource. You can put as many of those copies of that deck in your, <laughs> uh, in your deck builder as, we, as you want to. Yeah, very much. All right, listeners, we would really love to know from you what your experiences have been when you switched over a deck to a brand new commander and how much of the 99 was able to stay the same and why it was or wasn't able to stay the same and which other commanders you think would be interesting about all of that overlap data. But uh, for now, I think, fellas, we are going to uh, call this episode over without the overlap this joke doesn't work, so we're just going to move on. Let's and call I'm going to challenge your outro. <laughs> <laughs> I was like really proud of myself that I got some dad jokes in at the beginning. So I tried to come full circle with more jokes at the end. And you know what? It didn't work. I should just leave the dad jokes. Just, to the just take, take the victories where you can, Joseph. Leave it to the experts in 2023. That yeah. should actually be my lesson. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Fellas, if our listeners want to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDH RecCast. We have guests on every single week. Super fun time. So make sure you tune in for all of those games over there, too. And Dana. You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. I'm writing articles for EDH Rec Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDH Recast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me on the onlines at Joseph M. Schultz. And you can find the cast at EDH Recast anywhere online. Plus, if you have a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember to EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>